Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's first sake podcast, and I'm your host, John Puma from the Sake Notes, also the administrator at the Internet Sake Discord. Shout out to everybody over here who's from that place. And also Reddit's r slash sake community, healthy place to learn about sake. And I am your host, Timothy Sullivan. I'm a sake samurai. I'm a sake educator, and I'm the founder of the Urban Sake website. And every week, John and I are here tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our best to make it fun and easy to understand. Tim, I don't know if you're aware of this. We're on a stage right now. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, there's people. They're looking. They're, they're waving sometimes. It's interesting. <laughs> so we're, right now, we are at the 2023 American Craft Sake Festival, and I would not have this go any other way. This, this is the best way to do a live podcast at a, a sake festival. Yes. And I am so happy we took the show on the road for this event. <laughs> for those of you who don't know about Sake Revolution, we are a weekly podcast. Or what should we say weekly-ish? We try. Weekly-ish sake podcast. We are for people who are getting into sake, want to learn about sake. We do a tasting each and every episode, and we have wonderful guests from the sake community. And we are so excited to be here today at the American Craft Sake Festival. How is everyone enjoying the show so far? All right. I'm sure that got picked up on our I think so. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) Uh, the taiko drums definitely got picked up, but I think that also <laughs> got picked up. So, Timothy, I also noticed that we at our table here have two esteemed guests with us. Yes, two American sake brewers who have agreed, perhaps against their will, but they agreed <laughs> to be our guests and join our sake roundtable today. So I would ask both of our brewers to introduce themselves. Hi, everybody. I'm Todd Bellamy. I'm the owner and head brewer at Farthest Star Sake. We are the only sake brewery and taproom in New England. So we are located in Massachusetts, and uh, we're super psyched to be here, even though it was a lot of driving. <laughs> <laughs> you drove all the way? 620 miles. Oh, my goodness. And driving back tomorrow. <laughs> and our other guest? My name is Blake Richardson. I'm the owner of Motui Sake Brewery in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Nice. So we've kind of got like a North American sake brewery that's been around for a long time. And we've got a brewery that is kind of brand new. You guys are still, uh, you guys only been doing this for how long? Todd, when did you guys open up? 14 months ago? Not that uh, I'm counting. Not that you're counting. <laughs> I like 14 months in the sake world is still pretty brand new to me. I don't know. Tim, what do you think? I think that sounds uh, amazing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then Motui, how long has Motui been brewing sake? It'll be 15 years in October. Oh, my goodness. So wow. more years than he's had months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Wonderful. So we're at the American Craft Sake Festival in Charlottesville, Virginia. And tell me about the sakes that both of you brought today. Uh, we brought two sakes, one Junmai Ginjo and one Junmai. The Junmai is made with Omachi, milled to 70%. The Junmai Ginjo is made with Yamada Nishiki, milled to 57%. They are drastically different. One is, has a really nice fruit acidity, and the, the other, the Junmai Ginjo, is very soft and delicate. They're quite the contrast with each other. Nice, nice. And, uh, and Todd, what did you guys bring over? I was told to bring two sake, so I brought three sake. Um, <laughs> and so we have our flagship uh, filtered sake in a strange land, which the three of us drank online recently. 
Um, And so hard water, two yeast strains, 901 and 1601, uh, and Yamada Nishiki 70, which is our house rice. And then we brought our sake for the summer, which normally is only served in our tap room. Uh, It is a sparkling sake, 16% alcohol, Yamada Nishiki 70, a ginjo yeast from northern Japan. And as a bonus third sake, we brought a Ginjo-style sake with Yamada Nishiki uh, with fresh cucumbers uh, mm. from a farm near the brewery and lime zest. Mm. We also have our brewing water on draft if anyone's thirsty. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, please note that Todd did say on draft. You brought kegs and taps with you? Correct. <laughs> if you drive 620 miles, you can bring whatever you want. So I brought, I brought the most efficient packaging, uh, which is kegs. Excellent, excellent. So if you guys have not gotten over to the Father Star table and you want to have some draft sake, that's a great way to experience it. Uh, now, Blake, you, you guys flew, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. yeah. and, uh, and you guys brought bottles. I brought bottles, Wonderful. yeah. No pressurized vessels yes. allowed on the plane. Kegs included. Nice. And then that's interesting because if you go to Motui, you'll probably have your sake on draft. So you're getting a slightly different but equally interesting experience coming down here to, uh, to the festival. Indeed. We do bottle because of the, the customer base who wants to take it home. That's how, they, that's how they enjoy the sake to go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you have both been active in the sake industry for many, many years. I'd love to ask you, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the American sake industry over the last 15 years or so? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think some of the good things I've seen is uh, more people willing to kind of take the leap and open a sake brewery, uh, getting into the, I, I come from the beer world, the beer brewing world and getting into the brewing industry is not easy. I don't care what you're doing. And so I've seen a few more people willing to take the leap and make sake, which is pretty great. Uh, and more availability to high quality rice is really the biggest change I've seen. I think. Yeah, but mm. I've only been at it for not even half as long as Blake. So, you know, one thing I th- it, that's interesting, non-brewery related, is the customer side. Customers understanding the terms of sake, what Junmai means, um, what Semibuai means. Um, as people grow with the industry from a customer-facing side, and they understand these terms, and they ask for. Um, your product in relation to those terms, that's a, that's a real eye-opener. still happens to this day, and it's great when you, you come in contact with that customer who's actually taking the time to research and understand and appreciate the product, not just from the moment it hits the lips, but like what goes into this product? What is it all about? That's, that's something that's changed dramatically in, in the, the years that I've been involved. So from Todd's side, the availability of rice and the, the ability to make sake and then and people out there doing it. And uh, for you, more like the, the, when you have your consumers coming in, they kind of know a little bit more about what they're getting into. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for people who are visiting the festival today and walking around and enjoying the sake, from your point of view as one of the people pouring sake, what would you want them to know? What types of things should they look out for when they're tasting sake from various vendors? What would you want them to know? as they go around and enjoy their sake today. I think, Tim, that, that was a tough one. That, that was, was a tough yeah, That was a very tough one. <laughs> it's, it's a, a rush of thoughts. Yeah, okay. yeah no, I, I imagine that's like, a, like an hour-long uh, conversation. <laughs> I think the, the level of commitment it takes to make sake would be great if everyone oh, knew yeah. what that is. Yeah. 
because it's 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 hard to describe, and it's beyond the scope of of a of a small conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes a dramatic commitment to make sake, make it at all, let alone make it well. So the craftsmanship that goes into making sake, yeah. having an appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Tom? I think I've so far talked to a lot of people with this mindset, but the mindset has to be you're just open to learning new things. And so all of the brewers here have sort of a thing that they're telling people, right? It's made with hard water or soft water or this yeast or that yeast. And so to start to take note of those things, uh, I think is pretty cool. Um, And also I I would love people to see sake in this setting uh, because a lot of times sake is relegated to a wine glass thing or a sushi dinner. And you're like, no, you could also have a festival and be under a tent and just chill out and have sake. You know, it's a, it's a beverage mm-hmm. that should factor into your daily or not weekly enjoyment of alcohol. So. Mm, damn, yeah, daily, yeah, yeah. daily's okay. Daily's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I, I'm I, a brewer, I, so daily. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I have to say, this is like the first time I've ever been to a festival like this in, in America. Like in Japan, you yeah. can kind of find festivals where brewers are going to be pouring their stuff, but I've never seen something like this in the U S. And so for me as a, as a sake enjoyer, enjoyer. Yeah. As a sake enjoyer and consumer, uh, this is exciting and it's like a lot of fun, uh, and, and, and is a little bit unique. Uh, so that's been exciting for me personally, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. This has been so much fun. And I think the more this type of community event happens, the more people are going to be exposed. One thing we talk about on the podcast a lot is people having their aha moment with sake. That moment when you meet the sake that really speaks to you, and then sake becomes your hobby, and then perhaps your obsession. (laughs) Did that experience happen to both of you as well, that aha moment with sake? Actually, many times. (laughs) Many times. Yeah. And I do mean that. Like When I first had it, I had that moment. But even subsequent to that, when I started drinking sake with multiple different foods, and, you know, having a sake that went well with a pizza, that was an aha moment. Mm, like, yeah. wow, this is mm-hmm. so versatile. And leading up to that moment, I just didn't think in those terms. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was opposed to it, but the moment it happened, I'm like, wow. So m- many times. Yeah. All right. Okay. My aha moment with sake, it was an interesting thing. When I first moved to Japan, we drank some sake on the first night that I was there. And it was super delicious. It was like more complex. I only had like really crappy American sake or, you know, not any of us that are here, but like mass produced sake. Right. right. And I was like, eh. And then the first night we drank sake out of a coffee mug. Mm. <laughs> I was in the middle of nowhere in Japan. So we drank this, co- this sake. It was really complex. And I had this thought that I was like, oh, maybe they broke out uh special bottle of sake for me, or maybe it was like a celebratory thing. And then over the next year, I came to learn that, no, it all tasted like that. It was all complex with heavy fruit layers and cucumber and black pepper and that kind of, yeah. So that sake, by the way, I've learned years later is um, Otokoyama Junmai Ginja was the sake. Wow. Mm -hmm. Which in Japan at the time was like, I don't know, $10 a bottle. It was real cheap. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. And uh, <laughs> so, by the way, Tim, we need to add uh, to our vessel series the coffee mug yes, episode. For sure. So, we will definitely do that. 
Yeah, in the countryside of Japan, it's you drink sake of anything that holds liquid. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Now, we have some aspiring home brewers who listen to our podcast. We may have some aspiring home brewers here in the audience today. I think I recognize one or two. Yeah, I see Maybe a few Maybe three out there. or four or five. A couple. So <laughs> as established Toji's, as established master brewers yourself, what would you want to have told your younger self when you were first getting into sake? Any advice for people who are getting into sake brewing today? Don't do it. <laughs> Get a job in an office. Take, <laughs> take as much data that you can. It's all data driven. Data collection. Data, data collection. Okay. Yeah. Get as much data as why, you can. Why do you say that? Because over time, it'll tell you a story about what you've done, and it's hard to recollect what you've done when you're drinking a sake that's one, two years old, and you're like, this is perfect. You need to go back and look at what you did. What was the, the water ratio? What was the soak time? What was the, I mean, all the, those things mean so much to, to your future brewer self. You just, you can't discount the value of good data. Okay. Mm -mm -mm. And how about for you? I'm sorry. I have a two part answer. Okay. Uh, part part one. one would be for people who want to be home brewers. The whole thing about following the three-step addition, things that commercial brewers doing are not necessary in homebrewing. You can literally throw rice and koji and yeast and water in a bucket and make <laughs> sake. Um, you're pitching so much more yeast than is required for a 20-liter bucket. So you can do like two additions or whatever. It doesn't matter. Also, uh, for homebrewers out there, um, you know, it's rice, koji, water, lactic acid, yeast, right? I don't know. Other people experimenting with grains and all that stuff. Just try to make sake that tastes like sake would mm. be my thing. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Don't experiment with growing koji on popcorn or making <laughs> sake out of corn or whatever. Because some people get in. I, I, listen, I'm a beer homebrewer going back decades. I love beer homebrewing, but there's an experimentation element. Just let's try to make sake and get people to understand what sake yeah. really tastes like. Do you think learning to brew beer as a first step is worthwhile or should you just dive into sake if that's what you love? I mean, I think learning to brew anything from kombucha to beer mm. to sake to mead to wine to whatever it teaches you, you, you know, everything has to be clean and sterile. It teaches you good scientific method, yeah. which is really important. And so learning how to do any of that would be applicable to sake, of course. Mm. Yeah. That's nice. awesome. That's yeah. really, really good advice. I would not have thought that data collection <laughs> would be one of the keys to becoming a, an excellent home brewer. But that, mm -hmm. that's really good advice. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And then, of course, we've got the put some rice in a bucket, which I'm <laughs> kind of like, oh, I, can, I have a bucket. So I have some I, rice. Left, <laughs> I left my old blog up, uh, even though I don't use it anymore, bostonsake.com. There is a lovely video about how to make a two-day batch of sake in a bucket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Now we've talked a little about the past and a little bit about becoming a home brewer. Now, what do you think the future holds for the American craft sake industry? Can I ask you to look in your crystal ball a little bit and see where we might be in five or 10 years? What type of innovations or changes do you think might come to the U.S. sake industry in particular? I think sake will go in a much like a very similar path to craft beer. And so I think that 
Sake will take root here. Hopefully we will increase the quality overall of everyone's sake, which is something the craft beer industry went through in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And then Americans will take it in a path that, no, you know, Japanese people never saw coming, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, flavored sake, wild yeasted sake, sake with, you know, American grown rice, whatever. It'll go in a path that no one sees coming. So the same exact thing happened with beer. I mean, if you told me 20 years ago that everybody was going to drink fruity, hoppy beers that tasted like <laughs> orange juice, I would never <laughs> believe you. Uh, right. But it's Americans have taken beer and gone their own direction. And so the same will happen with sake. Some of the stuff that comes out will be cool. Some won't be cool, but it won't last. Yeah. It's a self-limiting mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. So you see strong parallels in like the way craft beer has developed in the U.S. The way it looks like sake, a craft sake is going to be developed. Abso here. Absolutely, yeah. And you get similar people who are starting breweries, homebrew people, or like people who are interested in science. Those are the same people who started the craft beer industry, which we all enjoy today. Blake, any thoughts on the future? Yeah, I think one easy prediction to make is there will be a sake brewery in every NFL town in America before 2030. <laughs> and that's, well, I think, about 20% true already, and two and some. So even in uh, New York, you have one for each team in New York. It's true. Um, it's true. <laughs> and, uh, but I think sake, in similar fashion to craft beer, uh, wine, and even, say, coffee, as that took off, you know, Starbucks has replaced Maxwell House or Folgers and... Ernest and Julio was replaced by Jordan and, you know, the beer industry. The thing that the difference between those industries, when they went craft, if you will, they went popular, they went quality. The sake industry wasn't here in that sense prior to what's happening right now. So I think the, the runway is a bit longer. It will happen, but it's just going to take a little bit more time because the base isn't already established in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But America does love craft. They love quality. And th this is the same story. It just needs a little more time. Nice. So, Tim, you've commented many times on the show about how you're, you're the, the dream is, is for sake to become a world beverage. Mm. And so I think like things like this kind of get us a little step closer to that and like seeing where things are going. Be like, all right, now in X number of years, we can look to... Uh, the U.S. bringing a little bit of that flavor to, to sake. Yeah, I think I've heard from a lot of Japanese sake brewers that they have a vision that sake will become a world beverage, mm -hmm. enjoyed around the world, produced around the world. Absolutely. And they don't see the emerging American craft sake industry as competitors necessarily, because there's so much room for market growth for everybody mm. that sake can be enjoyed around the world. And... I think that they would actually encourage what's happening here today. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, that's basically the feedback I get from Japan is rising tide floats all boats, right? Yep. I mean, the better we do, all of these people in here are going to go, oh, I guess I like sake. Yeah. Yes. You know, I've only had it at a hibachi restaurant and it was terrible. <laughs> so this is great, you know, and then they'll go out and seek not only us, but Japanese sake as well. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah. So when it comes to making sake a world beverage, one thing that I think plays a huge role is food pairings and sake. And I'd like to ask both of you, since this is something I think we need to promote, 
What are some of your favorite non-traditional or non-Japanese food pairings with your sake or any sake that you like? Because we have to get the word out about drinking sake with non-Japanese food, I Absolutely. think. So what do you think? So as you were asking about those aha moments, another yeah. aha moment was a pairing of onikuroshi daiginjo with uh, a tenderloin and mushroom saute. It was absolutely incredible. That was, and that speaks to what you're talking about. Who would have thought that? I wouldn't have, but I was introduced to this by a local uh, Japanese restaurant owner. He said, this is the perfect pairing, trust me. And I got it, and he was absolutely right. Mm. So it's that, that element of pairing food with sake that's non-Japanese is critical to the growth, I think. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Todd? So for me, pairing really has a lot to do with uh, a vibe that I used to feel in Japan. So when I lived in Japan, I went to izakaya, which are like pubs, basically. And the food is all very accessible, grilled, fried, you know, that kind of thing. And so what I try to do is recreate that vibe in New England with local products, you know. So izakayas don't really exist in America. So, uh, you know, Mountains on the Moon, Nigori Sake with a lobster roll is amazing, mm. right? So we try to just pick things that are really great in our market. Lobster rolls, obviously a lot of seafood. Um, we actually had an oyster pop-up one time, and we gave them a spray bottle of sake. So they would shuck an oyster, spritz it with our sake, and give it to the customer. And so things like that are really informs what we do. Yeah, That's great. And that really ties in with the idea of local. Like, mm -hmm. correct. local yeah. is so important. Ties in with craft products. And if, if your local cuisine there in Boston is lobster roll and your local nigori, that sounds like an awesome pairing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the big thing is to take sort of a, a big step in sake becoming a world beverage is taking the step to where um, a sake is just a share of a basket, right? Somebody mm. goes into a liquor store. No, in my market, at least, no one goes into a liquor store to specifically buy sake. So you're in there and you have a basket and you go, I need some New England IPA and some seltzer and a bottle of wine. I want them to go, I'll take two of these, huck it in the basket. That's mm -hmm. really the mission for me. Yeah. And, and so for you, you actually, a lot of you, your sales are, you, you have small, a small form factor and then you sell it out to local places around the Massachusetts area, the greater Boston area. Yeah, correct. So that, even the packaging size was informed by that same idea. So mm -hmm. we only do single serve. Japanese cups and cans sell really well in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and so at least in our market, no one's buying large bottles. And so we did uh, an American-made bottle. It's actually made here in Virginia at the OI plant. Oh, wow. And then we buy it from them, and uh, it's single serve. Yeah. So from top to bottom, everything that you do is kind of focused on the market that you're in. So the, the things yeah. you're pairing with, which, which will inform the flavor of the sake and also even the serving size. Absolutely. I, everything's informed by let's do a lot of local food pairing, but also accessibility is the big thing. Mm -hmm. So someone like Blake, he has a brew pub. People come to him. It's accessible for us where we're a packaging brewery. Small form factor really makes it accessible to everybody. Nice. And uh, Blake, since you do have a, a brew pub and you sell mostly out of there, it, does the kitchen kind of talk to the brewing team and kind of like figure out like, oh, wait, we, we found out that this dish will go really well with this sake or something like that? 
That used to be how it was. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And now our menu is relatively static with, say, maybe 80%. Mm-hmm. And now we make sake around what it already exists. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes when you're putting something together, you have a maybe have a dish in mind to uh, to pair it with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that sounds like I'm getting hungry. I don't know about that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk of pairings. I'm like, okay, I've had a lot of sake. I haven't had any food though. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I want to take a moment and just say thank you to Blake Richardson from Moto E in Minneapolis, and also Todd Bellamy from Farthest Star Sake Brewery in the Boston area. Thank you so much for joining our Sake Brewer Roundtable. It was a pleasure to have both of you on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. And I want to thank everybody for coming over here and uh, watching us do our little uh, little show here. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And if it's not too much trouble, I'd like to get a photo of (laughs) (laughs) y'all. So I'm going to do that. Stand up. Stand up. What? It's happening. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And now uh, everybody say... Sake Revolution on the count of three. One, two, three. Sake Sake Revolution. Revolution. Thank you. That was great. And we also want to give a special thank you to North American Sake Brewery, the hosts for today. Thank you so much. And also a special thank you to the Sake Brewers Association of North America, who also helped organize today's festival in Charlottesville, Virginia. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that is the place. (laughs) Correct. Uh, all right. All Thank right. you all so much. Thank you. Thank you Cheers. for all coming. Thank you for coming and have a great day. Drink good sake. Okay.